0: Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasnow. What you are about to hear is one of seven keynote lessons from our 2022 Commune Wellness Summit, which featured more than 30 world-renowned teachers sharing their insights on a wide range of wellness topics. Now, my hope is that by the end of this extended lesson, you will have discovered at least one aspect of your life that you feel motivated to support with more love, more attention and more balance. Now that insight will be different for each person, or even each time that you listen. And this is one facet of why I called this company Commune, because exposure to a multitude of ideas, you could say a biodiversity of ideas, is how we develop individually and thus as a collective. Now, each of these teachers has a full-length course available on Commune. So if you're inspired to go deeper, I highly encourage you to sign up for a free 14-day trial of Commune membership at onecommune.com slash trial. You will find more than 100 courses on personal development, health, yoga, meditation, and social impact, as well as the full seven-day wellness summit. So without further delay, here's the first lesson from our 2022 Commune Wellness Summit titled, Working with Big Feelings. Welcome. Today we'll be exploring ways to free ourselves from toxic thinking and learn to work with big feelings, in essence, to heal our minds. Maybe you have a stack of motivational books on your nightstand, done silent retreats, gone to therapy, and all the things, yet still find yourself stuck in painful, habitual patterns of the mind, unable to let go of the past, replaying situations that didn't go the way you wanted, ruminating, procrastinating, and worrying about the future. As so many of us have old tapes running in our heads telling us we're not enough, we're not worthy of love, that there's something wrong with us. Well, today, we'll be offering some ideas and tools to help free yourself of toxic thinking to transcend at least a few of the deep neurological grooves you've spent years mired in. Our first lesson is from Michael B. Beckwith, the founder and CEO of the Agape International Spiritual Center, a trans-denominational, multicultural community based in Los Angeles. He teaches us that peace is not the absence of conflict or negativity, nor is it something you can get from out there. You do not need certain preconditions to be at peace. Now, this reminds me of the traditional Buddhist attitude of non-attachment, in which wherever you go, you bring with you a state of equanimity or upeka. Now this is how I interpret the teaching in the first lesson and I hope that you find it as profound as I do. So without further delay, I present to you, Michael Beckwith.
1: Peace and blessings and welcome back to the great discovery of yourself and the activation of these wonderful qualities that are intrinsic. They are a part of you. Now, during these particular times in which we are living, one of the main qualities or the very essence of the spirit that's intrinsic to us that needs to be activated is that which is called peace. Now, we've heard that word for years. Peace be with you. Have the peace that passes human understanding. I'm a peacekeeper. Peace instead of war. You know, we've we've used the word a lot. What I like to do is to make sure that we have an understanding of what that even means. Peace is not merely the absence of conflict. It's not merely the absence of some type of destructive condition. All of you who have been in a room with individuals may not have been fighting. They may not have even been speaking to each other, but you can feel that peace wasn't there. Or you can be around other individuals, that maybe they've had a disagreement, but peace was still between them. So peace is not the absence absence of conflict. Peace is what I call the dynamic of harmonizing good. It's an essence that's flowing from you. It's a real dynamic of harmonizing good. Now when I say the word love or something like that, you readily think about something emanating, radiating from somebody. But sometimes when people think about peace, I think it's the absence of something. Oh, people aren't fighting. People aren't dropping bombs. People aren't stealing. But no, peace is dynamic, the dynamic of harmonizing good. I want you to begin to understand this so that you begin to no longer become a victim to circumstance. You don't become a victim to conditions or situations that may not appear to be peaceful. Nor are you seeking to gain your peace when a condition is a certain way. Now obviously, we want certain harmonious conditions in our life. We'd rather have a peaceful conditions in our life. I'm not saying we don't want that. But what I'm saying is, as you become stronger in the state called peace, You will notice that the world can't steal your peace from you, even if the world is turbulent, even if the world of conditions is very disturbing, you will be an individual that can still maintain your peace. So I have to say this to you so it becomes um, available first intellectually, and then uh, we uh, Uh, spiritualize the intellect through spiritual practice so that you're able to hold your peace. You're able to hold that state so that you're not the majority of beings that need a condition to be at peace. That's called being a victim. That's called dangling on the strings of a puppeteer that you're not in control of. It was uh, Dr. Howard Washington Thurman that said in substance that unless we feel and hear the voice of the genuine that's within us, then for the rest of our life, we're dangling on the strings of, that someone else is holding. There are many people in the world right now who have normalized fear. They're at ill at ease. They're living a life of anxiousness and anxiety as their normalized state, and that are looking for something exogenous, something outside of themselves to give them peace. It will never happen. These qualities in this very essence is an inside job. You have to cultivate this peace by first knowing what it is, and then through uh, spiritual practice and intentionality, it becomes the activity of your awareness. You end up knowing peace from the very depth of your being. Let me repeat this definition. Peace is not merely the absence of conflict, the absence of seeming negativity. Peace is the dynamic of harmonizing good. It comes from the very depth of our being. So you think about individuals like Thich Nhat Hanh, Nelson Mandela, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, Bishop Tutu, Desmond Tutu, A.T. Aryaratni out of Sri Lanka that helped eliminate the caste system in Sri Lanka, Mother Teresa. You think about these individuals, they were all in adverse conditions, Nelson Mandela, in prison for 27 years. Brother Tutu, also under the siege of apartheid and, and standing up against it. Thich Han, an exile from his own nation, Vietnam, because he was standing up against war. You think about um, Mother Teresa dealing with homelessness and shelterless and individuals that were in hunger perpetually. think about these individuals that I have mentioned and you'll notice and I had an opportunity to meet Nelson Mandela, His Holiness the Dalai Lama who was exiled from his home in Tibet um, Bishop Tutu they radiated a sense of triumphant peace even though they had all come from very oppressive debilitating conditions and they would all tell you that they weren't special people that were specially anointed by God. They were individuals who grew in this awareness through their diligence, their inner fortitude, their intentionality, their spiritual practice, and if they can do it, you can do it. It begins with intention, followed by practice all of those beings that I've just mentioned came out of harsh circumstances, grew in harsh circumstances. So regardless of your condition right now, and regardless of the condition of the world that's swirling around us, the the corporate media that's blasting us, all manner of pictures of negativity, whether it be that which is endemic now, whether it be wars, etc., There's something about us when we mature spiritually that allows us to catch this word, allows us to radiate a sense of peace when we know ourselves. And then what happens? That radiant quality forms the basis for the changing of conditions in our individual life, and then the changing of conditions in our collective life as a neighborhood, as a city, as a state, as a nation, and as a globe, It begins here. I want you to be introduced to the true you. In the beginning, a peacemaker through spiritual practice and then ultimately a peacekeeper through a way of living. Peace. A dimension of your wholeness, the dynamic of harmonizing good. I want to welcome you to you. The
0: dynamic of harmonizing good. This concept can seem like an abstract impossibility when you're really in it. When you feel consumed by big feelings and can't see anything else. If you've suffered any trauma or are overcome with grief, swimming in the dark waters of depression, super stressed out, or feeling intense FOMO, having any big feeling that you don't wanna feel, well, the concept of peace that Michael is teaching can feel elusive. So these next few lessons will give you some tools to return to equanimity and access a sense of peace. If you want more from Michael Beckwith, check out his eight-day course in commune membership, Practical Mysticism, in which he offers teachings and meditations to awaken eight divine inner states, including peace, love, harmony, joy, abundance, and bliss. Okay, up next, Dr. Siva Mohan, With an MD and a background in behavior change and education, Dr. Siva presents an empowering East-West mind-body version of Ayurveda. In this next lesson, she'll be discussing how to honor unpleasant feelings, to hear the messages those feelings are sending, and to respond to those messages with self-compassion. Through self-care, really, truly caring for ourselves, we are able to respond to the signals our emotions send us in a way that returns us to, or at least points us toward, the peace that Michael is talking about. Okay, here's Dr. Siva.
2: So let's take a little bit of a look into emotional guidance our unmet emotional needs are going to be revealed to us by unpleasant feelings. So if we've got unpleasant feelings, whether they're vata, pitta, or kapha, doesn't matter. The unpleasant feeling is a messenger. So really what we want to do is not focus on what the unpleasant feeling is, but go a little bit deeper and take a look at What is the unmet emotional need that's revealed to us by the feeling? Probably the biggest thing that we do that blocks our emotional wellness is to not receive that message. And we do this by subjugating the emotional feedback to our mental reasoning. So instead of viewing our emotional intelligence as on par with our rational intelligence, our mental intelligence, right? We view it as mm, low woo-woo or kind of foofy or soft or not as important, right? Wrong. <laughs> Those messages are super important and just showing up to receive them is really half the picture in emotional wellness. And lastly, just wanna say your feelings are never wrong. So what's nice about our feelings is that, you know, up here in my mind, I can look at a situation from so many different perspectives, right? And should I look at it this way? Should I look at it that way? But there's this reason, but there's that reason, pros, cons, and it's all analysis and it's all, Possible in any different direction. It's my choice what perspective I choose, right? With the emotional body, it's not a choice. Yes, I can shift my emotions about something over time by practicing different thoughts. I can reframe something to be looked at in a different way, which allows me to feel differently about it. But my gut response to something my initial emotional feedback to any situation is never wrong it's always clear real-time feedback letting me know something about this situation or this person or whatever it is that i'm having an emotional response to is not meeting my emotional needs. And my job is to receive that message and discover what those unmet emotional needs are. And just like in the case of my client, to meet those emotional needs so that those unpleasant feeling messages can go away. So just to be clear, unmet emotional needs, we can define this in some complex scientific psychobabble, but let's keep it super simple. You're Unmet emotional need is what you need to feel good in that given situation. That's not rocket science. And guess what? You're the only person who knows this. So there may be a few, right? It may be, let's say in that example of the client that not only did she have an emotional need to know that her lungs were free of cancer, but maybe she also had an emotional need for her husband to just hold her at bedtime because she had just gone through something really scary and traumatic that activated a lot inside of her. And so maybe in part that anxiety and that panic was what allowed her to get past her ego, to ask him to be loving with her and to hold her, which wasn't a common practice, right? Maybe it also revealed um, that she had an unmet emotional need to really feel like, she resolved some things that she hadn't yet hit in her bucket list so that she was feeling like she had led a good life and that, you know, she was in a peaceful place in case it was her time to go, right? I'm just making up stuff here, but you get the idea. Usually, an unpleasant feeling or a situation that doesn't feel good, there may be more than one emotional need. In other words, there may be more than one thing that we can do to allow ourselves to feel good in that situation. And if you really can't find anything to shift your ability to feel good in a situation, well, get out of the situation, right? But trust your gut. Usually the first things that come to mind if you ask yourself, what do I need to feel good in this situation? Those things are spot on even before you begin solving for your unmet emotional needs, you might just want to check in with that life force tank, right? Because when my inner tube is deflated, I'm being rocked by everything that's coming at me in life. And it might be that I really don't feel good about a lot, right? And so it's always a good idea to sort of fill our life force tank and nourish ourselves before we really do the process of solving, right? Because I wanna be in a nice place so that I can really tease out, okay, is this just I'm depleted and that's why I'm feeling yucky about so much stuff and it's kind of about a lot of things across the board and it's one of those days, right? or is it that truly there's a situation that's not feeling good so let's take a look at your life force tank feel into that so just check in right here and feel into that life force tank and remember how you defined whether you thought it was low or you know very full or somewhere in between well what are you going to do about it simple you're going to nourish your body and you're going to do the things that nourish your spirit. And the things to nourish our body, obviously good, clean, organic, you know, high life force, high vibration foods made fresh. Um, things that feel relaxing and yummy like yoga, massages, herbal baths, sound healings, etc., etc., Choose whatever feels best to you, whatever feels easiest to nourish your body at that moment in time, right? And then there are things that nourish your spirit that allow you to feel joy. That might be um, a funny movie, right? That just gets you out of your life and out of your head and uh, laughing. It might be a walk with a good friend where you're catching up and, you know, feeling that sense of connection again. It doesn't matter, you know what nourishes your body, you know what nourishes your spirit. When you're feeling like your life force tank has been running low and it's affecting your emotional wellness and how you're feeling about multiple situations and areas of your life, well, those are the things you wanna focus on. That's what we wanna prioritize before we get into solving for anything else. So on that note, let's just define self-care as whatever nourishes but does not deplete right so a lot of people will tell me oh but i love teaching yoga in addition to my full-time job and running a household and it's the only thing that nourishes me it's my it's my um you know sort of self-care and yes, that's great that the, the teaching of yoga and the stepping into that journey may, may nourish this person, this example person, but running all around town, rushing to different yoga studios, not really getting compensated and putting out all that energy in the getting there and in the teaching and the holding space for all these people and the planning of classes, that's all depleting. Right, So we want to try to go for self-care that is purely nourishing when we're trying to refill our life force tank and support our emotional wellness, right? And probably the simplest form of self-care and one of the most effective is deep breathing practices. So let's take a look at some breath work that supports emotional wellness. So literally, pranayama, you know, balancing um, evening of life force, of the movement of life force, of prana, is what happens when we do breath work. And so that's why it's named that, right? And so even if you're not a yogi and you've never done any kind of breath work before, the most simplest one is going to be an even count where you count for your inhale and then you match the count of your exhale. And then in subsequent cycles, you slowly extend the length of each inhale and exhale by one count and you keep going until you feel good. Another really common one that's very balancing for emotional reactions and sensitivity and sort of helps fill that life force tank too is alternate nostril breathing. Alternate nostril breathing is another really great one because it helps to balance, um, our emotional reactivity. And really it's, it's kind of the queen sort of balancing breath work. So a lot of us have heard of that one and even practiced it before, but my favorite is bumblebee or Brahmari Pranayama. And I'll actually demonstrate that for you in the video that's included in this section. So hopefully you're feeling like you've got some clear places to start looking at what are the patterns that you're feeling and what are some of the changes and the shifts that you can apply towards supporting your emotional wellness. You know, for me, this is paramount right now because I already am free of any major sort of... I don't know, symptoms um, that bother me regularly that are chronic, that's been attended to, great. And I already feel like my digestion is in a pretty good place, great, right? And so then it really becomes all about emotions, right? It's about feeling good in life. So I'm really focusing on wanting to have all of my interactions feel good, all of my relationships feel good and all of my decisions feel good. So not only that I like them in my mind and my mind thinks well of the choice, but that I've also checked in with my emotional intelligence and I feel good about the choice because that brings in this alignment where we're standing behind our decisions in such a powerful, clear way. And what we achieve with those decisions, where all parts of us are really fully aligned with them is so much more than what we achieve with our choices where we're mixed on the back end, right? So this is just a doorway. It's a beautiful journey. Emotional wellness. Okay, so instead of pushing
0: negative or unpleasant feelings aside, Siva suggests we stop and listen to them. Really allow ourselves to feel and ask ourselves what is underneath those feelings? What need isn't being met? From there, we can find ways to give ourselves whatever is missing. Now, that can be challenging. It can feel like we simply don't have the time in our day to give ourselves what we truly need. And depending on fortune and your life circumstances, you may not have your basic needs met on the most fundamental level day to day. But even taking small steps, carving out small amounts of time for self-care can make a huge difference. If you'd like to learn more from Siba, you can join her 10-day course in commune membership, Living Well with Ayurveda. She teaches you how to step into your own Ayurvedic lifestyle, unique to your body and your health goals. You will learn how to better understand what your body is telling you, identify patterns of imbalance, and choose what is healthy uniquely for you. Okay, in this next lesson, David Kessler talks about the power of creating your own story. David is the world's foremost expert on grief and loss. His experience with thousands of people on the edge of life and death has taught him the secrets to living a happy and fulfilled life even after life's tragedies. David's teachings are formed through the lens of grief, but can be used to address any sort of negative thought pattern. Now, creating a story about your life that empowers you and uplifts you makes it easier to access that inner peace that Michael Beckwith taught us about. Okay, I hope you enjoy David Kessler.
3: In this video, we're going to be talking about the mind and loss. Grief is about our heart, but our mind can take over and get in the way. So I thought it would be important to learn a little bit about how our mind works in grief. There are the facts that happen, and then your mind will often make up a story about that. So I'll give you an example, and this is something I do in retreats and in workshops. So you'll just have to imagine this playing out. I pair people up, and I will say to them to name three major events in your life. Three major events. Major. And people go, bad ones, good ones, I'll go, Both make sure you've got some bad and some good, right? And I will say with the person you're partnered with, I want you to share your three major events, but I want you to share it as just the facts, no emotions, no details, just the facts. Okay. So for example, I'll do it with you. If I was going to do it, just the facts, three major things, I might say when I was 13 years old, my mother died in 1995. My first book came out a few years ago, my younger son, David died. Those are the facts, no emotion, no story about them. Okay. Both people share their three facts, right? Bad and good. Then I say, okay, Next round, we're going to do it again. The exact same three facts, but I want you to talk about them as the worst thing that happened, the worst parts, the worst way. Find something horrific or horrible about it. And someone will go, Wait, the good stuff too? Yes, the good stuff too. So I'll stick with my three examples, right? They don't change. I would say, My mother died when I was 13. It was so hard. I wasn't ready to be without a mother in the world. It was so lonely and isolating. I felt so different from the world. My next event was my book being published. It was great to be an author, but I wasn't ready for the public criticism, I wasn't, I mean, it was wonderfully received, but of course, my mind went to any critics or criticism, and I was surprised that people could criticize you who didn't even read the book. So, it was so disappointing to see you write a book and you're criticized for even trying. Then, my son died. Brutal then and brutal now. Those are my three things in the worst way. Can you guess what's coming next in the exercise? Same three things, the three things never change. I ask people to now name those same three things and talk about them in the best way. Or something good about them. People are like, what, the bad things? Yes, the bad things. So let me go to my three examples. This is now looking at some positive aspect. My mother died when I was 13. It was so hard. I wasn't ready. And it changed the trajectory of my life and gave me this amazing career. My first book came out 1995. Once an author, Always an author. It's a great platform to have. My son unexpectedly died a few years ago. So brutal. And it has made me go deeper in my work. I can like help people on an even deeper level. Okay. So that's the exercise, just the facts. Then the worst way, then it's the positive way, right? I say to the uh, uh, attendees, "What did you wh- what did you think that was about? Why did I have you do that?" People will say, "To point out there's good and bad in everything, um, to find meaning, to um, see things from a different perspective, to realize there's more than one way to see things." I say, "All of your reasons are true." but mainly it was for you to become aware of your narrative. We all have a way we tell our story. How do you tell your story? And what you may find is how your story changes over time. For example, if you had met me in my 20s, horrible victim, horrible abandonment issues, My story would have been one of victimhood. Then I I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to have that story. Then I sort of normalized it. Yeah, I had bad things happen in my childhood. Didn't everyone? I mean, I'm sure people have had shootings and death in their childhood. No big deal. Everyone gets something. I sort of minimized it. That's how I told it. Then at a certain point, I realized it's nothing to minimize. That it's actually a story of triumph. So... How have you told your story? How has it changed? Do you tell your story with a victim mentality? Do you tell your story as someone who's made it through horrible obstacles? How do we tell our stories? Because you've met people that tell their story, right? You've met the people who are like, and then this bad thing happened, there was a silver lining, and then this bad thing happened, and there was a silver lining, and then this bad thing happened, happened, silver lining. And you're like, oh, gotcha. It's all about the silver linings. Someone else might tell a story and go, and then that happened. Oh, and as if that wasn't bad enough, then this happened. Oh, no, wait for it. There's more, right? They're telling it as, boy, bad stuff happens to me all the time. That's how they tell their story. Now, remember the events do not change. How you tell your story can change. This is where your mind works. How you can tell your story changes. You are not the author of the facts. I'm not the author of the story of my mother dying or my book being published or my son dying. I am the author of how the story about those events get told. I am the author of that story. That's where I have some control. Our mind holds all our memories. It holds the good one. It holds the bad ones. It holds prior grief. It holds prior trauma. We carry our old wounds in our heart, in our mind, in our body. We carry our grief and our trauma and all those places. So as we talk about these old wounds, we carry them with us. And our old wounds, we project those onto our new grief. So we have the grief, but they're also colored by our old wounds.
0: Most of us suffer from some level of habitual, toxic thinking that we want to change. And maybe you notice limiting beliefs that suddenly intrude into your otherwise healthy thinking. Or maybe you are working through a deeply rooted trauma that occasionally overwhelms your system. We all have big feelings that can be challenging to manage. The inner peace Michael Beckwith discussed is always there, but it can be elusive unless we lean into nourishing practices like Siva taught and consciously reshape our narrative as we learned with David. I hope you are coming away from this lesson with fresh inspiration for your healing journey, but if you want to delve deeper, each of these teachers has a full-length course in Commune Membership, including Practical Mysticism with Michael Beckwith, Living Well with Ayurveda with Dr. Siva Mohan, and Help for the Hurting Heart with David Kessler. I encourage you to learn with these luminaries and many more in Commune Membership. Thank you for listening to the first lesson from our seven-day commune wellness summit titled Working with Big Feelings. Now, if you enjoy this show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. If you are a regular listener, you have a sense for how much effort we put into this show's creation. And we really do our best to keep adds to a minimum so if you're looking for a way to support our efforts the best way is to subscribe to commune you'll access more than a hundred courses featuring the world's top authors and thought leaders as well as the full length wellness summit the membership version of this summit includes yoga meditation and breathwork classes paired with each daily lesson so you can actually embody what you are learning for 14 days of free commune membership, just visit onecommune.com slash trial. And of course, feel free to reach out to me directly anytime with suggestions and criticism of the constructive variety at jeffk at onecommune.com. Lastly, and not leastly, I would like to thank the folks that make this show possible week over week, including Jacob Laub. Megan Stone, Violet Augustine, Ruby Foster, Emma Fret, Silvana Alcala, and Ryan Tillotson. That's all from the commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasno, and I am here for you.